This is episode number five of Ships with James Imes. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McAndrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Ships Podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest on our show, James Imes, who I know also from Villanova University. A few episodes ago, I interviewed Michael, who's also a professor there. And James was a great mentor to me during my time there, taught me all the great things I needed to know about acting and was an amazing acting coach. He is a Philadelphia-based performer and playwright. His plays have been produced by Flashpoint Theater Company, Orbiter 3, Theater Horizon, the National Black Theater, Ally Theater, and have received development with Playpen, New Play Conference, The Lark, Playwrights Horizon, Clubbed Thumb, Villanova Theater, Headlands Art Center, Wilma Theater, Azuka Theater, and Victory Garden. James is the 2011 F. Otto Haas Award for an, an Emerging Artist Recipient. And he also won two Barrymores for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Play and one Barrymore for Outstanding Direction of a Play for The Brothers Size with Sympatico Theatre Company. James is also a 2011 Independence Foundation Fellow, a 2015 Pew Fellow for Playwriting, the 2015 winner of the Terrence McNally New Play Award for his play White, the 2015 Kessler Ring Honorable Mention Prize winner for the most spectacularly lamentable trial of Miss Martha Washington, the 2018 Kessler Ring Prize winner for Kill Move Paradise, and a 2017 recipient of the Whiting Award. James is a founding member of Orbiter 3, Philadelphia's first playwright producing collective. He's also the assistant professor of theater at Villanova University and resides in South Philadelphia. <laughs> James has a lot of great things going on, uh, which is why I was very excited to have him on the podcast. As I mentioned before, we talked a lot about just the, the current state of theater why theater is so important today, uh, the importance of building community, not only amongst people in the theater, but also in your local community, whether it be in your city or small town. And we talk about how James ended up to be the actor and playwright he is today. So I'm really excited. Uh, if you are interested, please be sure to call in or comment with your thoughts I'll be excited to hear what you think about this episode, so enjoy! Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today we have James Imes in the house. Thank you so much for being with us today. Happy to be here, man. So nice to talk to you. 
Yeah, yeah, it's great to talk to you too. I'm I'm excited for the audience to hear your words of wisdom. <laughs> well, that's I hope they do feel wise. <laughs> uh, so I'm wondering if you could just uh, start out by telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, a bit about your background, where you're from, um, and how you ended up to be in the place that you're at today. Right. Um, well, I was born and raised in um, the south sort of east section of North Carolina. Uh, in a town called Bessemer City. And uh, I was raised in a really big extended family. So um, my mother, my father, my three sisters, but then also my grandmother, great grandmother, aunts, uncles, like I was raised by a, a truly sort of extended family and like, and not in a sort of drop in sort of way. Like these people were, or are really, I guess I can can't, they, they still very much are of a major fixture in my life and my thinking. Um, now in my art, um, they've had a, a huge in, imprint on me. Um, and so I was raised in this sort of rural community, uh, close-knit, uh, went to church every Sunday, um, <laughs> went to... Uh, elementary school at the school where my mother taught like so I had this um experience of being very held um and sort of surrounded by people who (laughs) could call my mother and say you know what James is doing (laughs) oh no (laughs) you know he's over here he's not supposed to be over here um so I couldn't get away with anything um which sort of made me someone who um respected the the idea of like order or what you're supposed to be doing or and I think as I get older that starts to shift and starts to transform into to other things but we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit um went to college in Atlanta Georgia uh at Morehouse College um initially as a music major um because I wanted to be a choral music teacher oh wow I things. didn't know that yeah, I I was in choir in high school and it was a big, big, big part of my um my artistic output. Like it was choir was everything. And um I had a choir teacher, Jacqueline Robinson, who was really, really uh passionate and instilled that passion in her students. And so I felt like that's what I wanted to do. And I got to college and I realized I hate music theory and I'm never actually going to learn to play the <laughs> piano. And those are two things that are really important yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, you know, teaching choral music. So I had a voice teacher at the time who was like, I think he's like, you obviously enjoy performing, right? He was like, they're doing a musical. Uh, Morehouse is an all male school. Um, and it's a part of this thing called the Atlanta University Center, which is sort of um, a cross-listing uh, collaborative co-op of historically Black colleges in Atlanta, where you can kind of take classes at any of those schools. So it's sort of like you're at a large university, but you're you're in your college. So um, there were theater programs at Clark Atlanta University, which is a part of the system and Spelman College. And my voice teacher at the time was like, well, they're doing a musical over at Clark Atlanta. You should you should audition for that. And I did, and I was in it. And I'd never 
been in a musical before. I'd seen musicals as a child, but I'd never been in one. And that was sort of where the bug bit me of like theater as a form that could um could offer me the things that I was really loving about choir, the sense of community, the sense of all of us making something together and moving in one direction towards something. This idea of, um, you know, in choir, you have sopranos, you have altos, you have tenors, you have basses. Each one of those vocal parts has something that is adding to um the thing that the audience is hearing. And so that the, there was, it felt like a really um, clear transition to me from that sort of collective art making to theater, which feels compartmentalized, but actually is quite collaborative and quite, um, um, you know, it requires a bit of harmony among the different parts um, that are making it. Um, and so I, I studied theater in college um, I wrote plays, I directed plays, I acted in plays, and um, and had every intention of going to graduate school for playwriting. And I had an acting teacher in college say, ah, I don't know if you're going to get into graduate school for playwriting, you should go for acting. You'll definitely get in for acting. Wow. And I did. <laughs> and I went to school university for acting for three years. Um, still writing, still directing all three of those years um, and left that program um, and started working in Philly um, as a, as an, as an actor. Um, I worked pretty much everywhere uh, over the last like, oh gosh, <laughs> how many years has it been? 2006. So like, I got out of grad school in 2006. So 13 years. Is yeah, it? Yeah. Like, 13 years, 13 years of um, working, you know, teaching from time to time when I could adjunct, um, but all the while still writing. And, and the writing of a play uh, at this moment in time was like my way of talking about things that I wasn't able to talk about in the other avenues of art that I was participating in, which was mostly acting at that time. And so I guess about eight years ago, I started um, sending my work to places um, for development, for production. Um, and so in the last, I guess, five years is when uh, that's really taken off. And um, yeah, it's, I guess, I'm, yeah, that's how I got to this, to this place. <laughs> Would you say that it was a big shift going from Atlanta to Philadelphia or not really? Well, you know, Atlanta is a is a is a major city and it feels like an urban hub, but it also feels very southern. Um and in a lot of ways Philly feels the same way to me, right? Like Philly um feels a, a, a city where people work and where people um, are like connected to the people that they're like literally like the houses are literally connected to each other. And so like you can hear what your neighbor is doing, you know, if they're having an argument, it's sort of in your house too. Um, which is a different way towards, you know, what I experienced growing up in the South, which was everyone just knew everyone. So you knew what was going on with everyone in the community. 
um, it sort of like lands in a different way here in Philly. But I, I mean, you know, climate wise, it's a very different place. Um, but politically, it's very similar. Um, Atlanta is a, a slightly more, not even slightly, it's a significantly more diverse city, I would say. Um, but um, but there are a lot of similarities between them. There's a there's a there's a sense of identity that is uh, sort of brazen that I think both Atlanta and Atlanta and Philadelphia have. Um, it's sort of in your face, which I really dig. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to just um, you know pick up the vibes of different cities and and how some similarities mm. uh, or some cities share similarities and then they have those differences. Um, and, but I guess you, you've been in Philadelphia for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. Philly's home now. I mean, um, it's, it's so weird to say that, but because I've spent so much of my life in the South, whether it was in North Carolina or in Georgia, um, but I'm slowly approaching the point where I will have lived in Philly longer than I've lived anywhere else. Um, yeah. Like soon. Wow. <laughs> I left, I left North Carolina when I was 18. Um, and I left Georgia when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, so it, you know, I'm getting close to the point where, I will have been living here uh, longer than I've been living in the South. Um, so yeah, Philly feels very much like home to me now. And there was uh, something that you said about why you got involved in theater and even why you got uh, involved in inquire initially was because of the sense of community. And why is that something that's important for you and, and really important for the world too? I think it's because of how I was raised. Like I was raised in this family that was just huge. And it felt like a village, like, you know, this thing that we say now that seems sort of cliche, it takes a village. But I really did feel like I grew up in that. Like I, I could not go anywhere without encountering someone that I was related to. Um, because I'm like, you know, I'm talking about my mother's side of the family, but my father's side of the family is also huge. So I, my understanding about how one moves through the world is that you find the people that you can surround yourself with and you build community with those people and that that's a natural human impulse to try to do that. Um, I think it's a, I think it's something we put on ourselves, this idea that we have to be individuals and we have to be like, completely independent from anybody else and you know there are people who say like the only person you can depend on in your life is yourself and that on some level that is true but i also know that when and i've experienced this like when things have been really hard for me there are people that i can talk to there are people i can connect with and that the relationship is sound enough that there's some safety on both of our parts to sort of like hold each other up um and art um that requires collaboration i feel like um 
or art that that felt collaborative, I felt really comfortable in that kind of art. Um, you know, I love modern dance. And what I love about modern dance is that it's, it is, um, it requires a sort of agreement of all the bodies on stage to, to be telling this specific story. Um, whereas I think in ballet, yeah, the, 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 you know, the, the dancers that are sort of like moving around the principal dancers of the story, but there's still a hierarchy of like who's important and who's not, um, or who we should be watching and who we shouldn't be watching. Um, I really am a fan of artwork that feels like it's been, it's moved through several hands. Yeah, I don't even like plays where I feel like, oh, all I can see is the director's hand. That frustrates me because I'm like, well, what I, I want to be able to, I want to know a community well enough to walk into a theater and say, I know who did these lights because I know this hand. And I also know, you know, who's the sound designer. I also know, you know, um, who dramaturged the play. Like, you know, that there's a sense of knowing the art because you know the people who have made it. Um, and inquire, you know, going back to that, being able to listen and you could hear people's voices. And there, there were, there were things that were specific about individuals' voices that when they came together with a lot of other voices, it transformed everybody else, everyone's voice. Like you're sort of, you're trying to set your voice inside of someone else's. Um, and I think that's magic. Like there's something about that that is really satisfying to me. And I actually miss it. Like um, I'm contemplating joining a volunteer choir. I miss it that much. Like, <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah. It, it there's, was, there's sure. There's a lot of those in Philly. Oh yeah. There's, there's a lot. And I mean, there's one, there's a staff and faculty one at Villanova um, that I'm thinking about. Yes. <laughs> thinking about joining. Um, Cause I do, I miss that sense of working together with many people to make something beautiful or to fail at something like all of those things are are interesting and important to me yeah there's something inherent with whether it be theater or music or dance or really any any sort of uh performing art that uh has community embedded into like the framework of what it is I think that it that that's certainly an appeal to to many of us who are uh, involved in in an art form is the ability to be able to just connect and, and communicate with our fellow artists. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, it's something we're missing from just normal everyday interaction. Is this? Um, idea of community this idea of collaboration um this is really like a small thing but like when i hold the door like if i'm approaching a building and there's someone near me or behind me or beside me that's approaching the building and i hold the door open for them that's a collaboration right that's a that's a moment of connection because you're what what you're what i'm doing and holding that door open and is easing the wheels of 
the event, like or or it's easing the wheels of the event. That makes no sense. <laughs> no, I, uh... I know what you're saying though. Like that's true. Like you're you're um you know making you're being of service to someone. Yeah, and it, you know it it helps with the traffic flow in the building. Like it's like all of those things, you know, that is a, these, this tiny moment of collaboration, which I think people read as like, Oh, how nice, which is fine to, it is nice, but it's also like saying to someone that I see you um, or that I, I acknowledge you or that I um, even appreciate you, you know, complete stranger and i i feel like there are more spaces in which we can we can do that um that we sort of say to each other and like even when someone holds a door open for you there have been so many times i've held a door open for someone and they don't respond to that at all they just walk through the door oh man and this flip side of that is like how do you then sort of acknowledge that person's gift to you of like making your way into this space easier um um you know you know removing any obstruction from your 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 coming and going um yeah it's i'm a big believer that there's a lot of magic that happens in those small little moments um mm -hmm. i find w whether it be at, at work or or at a rehearsal or or in a class where um where like there's a break um you know uh, we're, we're going to take like a, a minute break or five minute break or something like that and uh and most people will reach for their phones it's just mm -hmm. as has become standard nowadays and it's just interesting to note where those could be moments of 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 connection of of talking about oh oh, oh what did you do last weekend did did you go enjoy going to that show? Oh, why did you enjoy going to that show? And it's it's amazing what could happen in those little moments, even as what you were just saying, even if it is uh, just ho holding the door open for somebody. Right. I mean, I mean, I remember when I was teaching you. I don't. I mean, I guess this will be in the intro that we know each other. For, <laughs> yeah. we've known each other for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what teaching you and you were doing an exercise and you pulled out your phone and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and I remember having these two really intense reactions to that. One was, Oh, that phone, like he can't like get email on that phone or, you know, he's not as connected. And then the other, really visceral response was a deep sense of jealousy that <laughs> that you had a phone where people didn't have full access to you. Like I felt really jealous of that and like really went through a thinking of like, can I go back to a flip phone? Like, can I go back to a phone that is just essential? Like, it's just like, yeah. Um, the thing that yeah that on. that it's it's sad that phone actually died a slow and painful death a few months ago oh, it no. just yeah just stopped oh, working no. and um i ended up deciding to get a smartphone um 
And uh, but but with that said, I am I am seriously considering going back. Um because yeah, there there is um I don't know if agency's the word, um or freedom. Mm. There there's a certain uh, pride that one could take in, in sort of being con- in control of their, their own time. Well, yeah, I mean, like, there's a sense of ownership when someone sends you an email. The expectation is that you're going to respond immediately because you're receiving it in your pocket. And <laughs> I, I think that is absurd to expect from people, but I find myself expecting that from people all the time. Hmm. And it you know, it really made me um, rethink my relationship to information technology in particular. Because, um, like, I'm all about, like, being able to, like, listen to a streaming service for some reason that, like, <laughs> exists in a, like, in a way that feels collaborative to me because I know that there are several other people that are sort of streaming this from the same source as I Right, am. right versus like someone sends me an email and then they or they send an email to like five different people and we're all on the email and by the time I get to it everyone has responded and I sort of give up I'm like I don't know how to respond to this anymore because it's so it has been spoken to so much and I actually don't have the brain space to like go through and read all of this to figure out what i need to say or if i need to say anything at all yeah sometimes it could be just a bunch of noise that's back and forth and you know sometimes sometimes points are made that are certainly valid depending on what the email or the discussion is about but yeah it's it's it makes me think about like how how efficient it is and and if it's if it's more important that it takes you out of what you're currently living in outside of your screen you know, whatever environment you're in. Um, So I'm very curious, uh, James, with regards to you've had um, a wide variety of successes, both in your acting and your playwriting career. And I'm curious as to what your approach is or your process is, uh, specifically in in the age that we're living in today. Um, how, How do you go about approaching your work uh, whether it be as an actor or as a writer. Mm. As a, I'll start with writing because that's the thing I'm, I do the most right now in terms of artistic output. Um, I, hmm. this is also connected to acting too. Okay, so there's there's this notion of embodiment that I'm really, really interested in as an artist. And um, that it sort of like filters into my work as a writer in a couple of different ways. One is like literally how do you write words on the page that someone can actually embody that don't feel like um, simply an idea that I have that I want someone to enact on stage, but that it's actually um, trying to communicate from my body through the paper to someone else's body, the information that's needed for them to fully embody the idea. And an embodiment is different from performance. Um, how, how so? so they, well, I think performance at its best is inclusive of embodiment, but 
performance does not have to include embodiment in the sense that someone is is has taken the ideas and put them in their body so that it's changing the shape it's changing um how the the voice resonates inside of the body like that's what i mean by embodiment um and i think you know when you're talking about i tend to write about things that deal with race and identity and uh gender and those are things that people experience in their body so i have to write those things in such a way that um someone can you know their humanity can touch it and that it's not about them guessing what I have in my imagination, but it's about them taking it and then sort of living it on stage um, as as best they can. And as, you know, in terms of acting, I've, you know, I don't act as much as I used to. I do about one show a year as an actor. And it's gotten to the point where it's sort of old, this is going to sound terrible, sort of old hat where I walk in the room and I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing. This is how, this is what my process is. And I figure those things out, but teaching acting has forced me to really think about the mechanics of this thing that we do. Like, how does it work? Like when I say to a student, you know, what do you, what does your character want in this moment? What is it, their objective? Like now the way I talk about that, and this is a relatively new development for me is how do I talk about want objective need intention in an acting class in such a way that it doesn't feel intellectual like if a if a student says to me like well she wants her to understand where she's coming from i'm like well great can you put that can you make that um can you make that something that's coming out of your body and it's like wanting something from someone else's body like appetite is real like that's something that we all know what that is you know, wanting someone to understand where you're coming from is something that we want, but like, it's so cerebral that it doesn't sift down into the, to the body in the same way. Like it, it stays in the head. And then suddenly I have acting that's just sort of coming from like the chin up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) As opposed to acting that's like affecting how you, how you pick up a toothbrush in the scene, you know? Um, and so my focus in the teaching of acting is much more on the body and much more on the on the breath and what those things are doing. Because I think those are the places where we get to be the most honest because the body doesn't care what the mind thinks sometimes. Like, you know, cancer happens because the body isn't intellectual in the same way that the brain is. The brain, if, if, if the body worked in the same way that the brain worked, the, the, the body could say, well, I don't want cancer, so we're going to, you know, do this in a different <laughs> way. And I think the body is something that we cannot control in the same way that we feel that we can control the mind and the intellect and knowledge and things like that. So um, that has become really like um, a battle cry for me of like, how do you write in such a way that you're helping someone embody the ideas of the play uh, as opposed to trying to figure out what the performance of the of the character is 
And uh. when when you're doing that, um, just because of interweaving all of these and juggling all these complex relationships of different characters in the plays that you write, is is that difficult to to accomplish, or do you find that if you just write it out on the page, it somehow manifests itself naturally? Right. It's, I think it's quite difficult. Um, I do think that when I just, um, when I'm honest, like when I'm not trying to be clever or slick in a play, <laughs> um, that the, the, that it becomes a slightly easier process of writing. Right. Um, the moment that I'm trying to like, what's the trick, what's the twist, what's the, then it gets into, you know, some territory that, um, I feel can, can from, from me as a writer feels a little disingenuous, but, um, and the older I get, the more and more I want to like write plays that just feel, um, just feel true. And they don't necessarily have to have like, um, a trick to them. Whereas I think early in my career, and if you read my early plays, they all have this thing of like, Oh, I didn't see that coming, <laughs> <laughs> which is great, but it's also, um, I'm less and less interested in getting something over on an audience. I'm more and more interested in how, because the other part of embodiment, I think, is how does this land in the bodies of the people in the room, right? Like, if I make someone laugh, that physiologically changes their body in a way that if I say something interesting, it, 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 it doesn't enter the body in the same way if they're laughing than it does if they're sitting there with a furrowed brow going, yes, I understand that. When it's like, you don't really understand it because you haven't put it in your body yet. Hmm. Um, so it's, I think it's harder to, to try to talk to an audience member's body than it is and even as as I say this, I'm like, someone's going to listen to this and go like, what? That's crazy. But I do think it's possible. Like I've watched plays where I'm like, I don't physically, I don't intellectually understand why my body is reacting to this in this way, but it is. And that's exciting to me. Like that's what makes theater different from watching a movie or a television show. And like I, I saw Indecent by Paula Vogel on Broadway twice. Oh, nice! And I, I, I mean, I, the first image of that production was, and I think also the 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 first line of the play is is the players step onto the stage and they shake off the dust of the past or something like that. I'm butchering Paula Vogel's beautiful stage direction <laughs> there, but what they did in the production was the actors had been sitting on stage the whole time as we were entering as audience members. We sat down, the lights dimmed, uh, a song started to be played on a violin and all of the actors stood up, stepped up onto a platform. And I don't know how they did it, but dust just fell out of their sleeves. They were all wearing coats. Whoa. And I just, like I, like I instantly started weeping. No one had spoken a single word, but that image um, and how that was embodied on stage. And like th throughout the whole play, things would happen 
and someone would move their arm and a little dust would come out of their sleeve throughout the whole play. Like I, it just, it was an ongoing thing of like, you know, the past is always sort of with us. Wow. Um, and that that's a really great example, I feel, of how theater forces us to like think with our whole body as opposed to just with our intellect and what we think we know and what we think we understand. Would you say this uh, is why theater is so powerful? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I don't know. Like theater's in this precarious state, right? Like we, you know, for, for a long time, our aspiration, and even when I'm teaching acting, I'm thinking about this. Our aspiration has been realism, naturalism. How real can we make this experience for an audience? And I don't know that, I don't know that that should be our focus anymore. Mostly because we can't compete with the television. Like I cannot make something look more natural than going to a movie and seeing it. Like, you know, we have cell phones so that every event that we are present for, we're like recording it. So it's like hyper real. Hmm. And I think the theater, one is a space in which people don't record what they're watching. So it, 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 it exists only in the imagination. Um, and it requires you to have both a vertical relationship with what's happening on stage, but also a horizontal relationship with what's happening in the audience. And the, the, I think what's important about what theater can do is that we can begin to really shape that horizontal relationship because everyone understands the vertical one, but the horizontal relationship of like, how do I make one person with one lived experience laugh that will be in conversation with someone who doesn't have that lived experience because they're sitting next to each other or they're sitting down the aisle from each other. Like that starts to put the ideas in the bodies in the room. It's like when you go out dancing at a nightclub and a song that everyone knows starts to play. That's one ex interesting experience when you're out dancing. And I, I don't go out dancing very much, but I used to go out quite a bit. Um, that's one experience. But then there's an experience of like the DJ playing something that, you know, I, I remember like in college, like um, playing music from Detroit, like music that people from Detroit would really, really know. And then everybody from Detroit is moving in a really, really different way. And I'm like watching, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I want, I want to have, I want that in my body. I want to, that looks beautiful. I want to have access to that. And then suddenly there's a sharing of things that are deeply personal, things that are deeply, that are really, really specific. Um, and we're doing that with our bodies. Like we're not just, and then that's not to discount, like, I think we need to have rigorous conversations and ideas are important. And like thinking about things, thinking deeply about things is really, really important. I just wish we could have more of the next step where we start to imagine together and like not just, <laughs> um, not just sort of intellectualize the things that we're trying to do or the things we're trying to solve or the things we're curious about, but then like, how do we take that to another step? Right, right. 
I, I wonder from your perspective, if you believe that theater goers who aren't necessarily people who work in the theater, uh, but maybe people who just enjoy going to the theater, do you think that they, that they think about these things, that they really um, intellectualize what they're seeing on stage or think about how it connect, may connect them to other audience members? Or do you think maybe it's working on them like on a subconscious level? I mean, ideally, I hope it's just like happening to them on an unconscious level that like they're not going like, oh, I'm feeling this in my, you know, <laughs> why am I holding my stomach in this way in this moment? Right, you know? right. I don't think anybody's thinking it that way. And like theater artists, we, we're like our relationship to tension is like really robust, right? We're like, <laughs> oh, right. Holding this in my feet in such a way that it's like hurting my feet. like. I can't do that. I have to relax that. Um, whereas I think an audience member um, who's not in the theater or is, you know, not doesn't know necessarily what we're what we do and how it works. I think they have those experiences of like, I, I, I recently saw something where I was sort of watching the audience. Oh, um, and this woman was watching the scene happen and she had a necklace on around her neck and she was holding the necklace in such a way that it was like, almost like she was choking herself. It was bizarre, huh. but it was like, oh, she's caught in this. So she's physicalizing, pardon me. She's physicalizing what this feels like with her hand in this necklace and her throat. Like, it's a moment of, like, anxiousness. There's a moment of, like, what's going to happen? I don't know. And to see someone sort of, like, try to create that shape with her body, and she didn't know she was doing that. It just was happening. Um, and I'm, I'm drawn to that kind of experience for an audience member. Um because even if she hasn't really thought about it intellectually, that's going to rest in her body because our bodies don't forget things. Right. You know, um, our, our heads do, but our bodies are always, you know, holding on to the stuff that we've experienced. And earlier you were saying that um, a lot of the work that you focus on is centered around gender and race. And a lot of people are talking about these topics for really important reasons um, in today's political climate. And so I'm curious, why talk about these things through theater um, and not through um, any other various mediums or outlets that you could talk about these uh, ideas through? Yeah, I actually think... Um... I don't know that theater is any better at talking about these ideas than any other medium. It just happens to be the medium that I work in, right? Like, I actually think the space where it's the most effective about talking about race or gender or class is television. And that leaves a horrible taste in my mouth because I work <laughs> in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Like, the, the television is... Um, something that most people have access to. Um, and it is long range storytelling. Whereas if you come and see a play, you know, 
the two hours traffic of our stage and then you go home or, you know, you go out to the bar or whatever it is you do after the show. Um, and you're not going to come back the next week and watch it again. You might, you know, but you're probably not. But if you're watching, you know, Jane the Virgin or you're watching, you know, Killing Eve or, you know, any note, The Handmaid's Tale, you're, you're constantly confronting the ideas in this serial way in this developing way, which uh, allows the, um, the story to become more complicated, become more dense. Um, and you're doing it with, you know, in terms of the collective, you know, if, if we're talking about something like, um, I mean, the streaming services have changed this a little bit, but like there are still shows that air, like Game of Thrones just came back on. Everyone was watching that show. Yeah, yeah. You know when when it came on that night um so i think that you know i don't know that theater is better at at talking about these ideas and one of the reasons why i think it's not better is because it's it is expensive and it's very difficult for people uh to get access to it is it is an, an art form that in terms of the audience for that art form is populated largely by um, at least, you know, well-to-do middle-class uh, folks, you know, it's just not um, as accessible as like Netflix has a dozen shows on there, most of which I've, I'll never see and have never seen, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so the reach of TV is just larger. Um, and more accessible and in some cases free. And do you, do you feel like though, um, cause what, what you were saying, do you think that the edge that theater has over television or a, another sort of medium is that embodiment experience that you were talking about? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think that's the, that's the major benefit of going to see live theater. And if people, so the, the I think in the best of all possible worlds, right? If everybody had access to the theater, then I would say theater is the space in which this is the most important way to talk about these ideas. Um, but it's an art form that is very, very, very exclusive. And I, and I say that as someone who works inside of it and trains people to then go and work inside of it, I, I see constantly how, um, you know, economically homogenous the theater is, and even racially homogenous the theater is. Um, so that's troubling to me. And I think that's part of the reason why when I'm writing about race, I want the ideas to get inside of the bodies of the people, because I know that the bodies by and large don't look like me. So if I can get the ideas that I'm carrying around every day in the bodies of the people, that are watching it that don't look like me, then that might that might do some work. That might do some changing. That might do some transformational work. Right, right. Uh, yeah. And is is there a way that theater companies can? Uh, obviously, there are a lot of theater companies out there doing some amazing work with making theater more accessible. Um, but based off of your experience. Is there any sort of um, long-term solution for it? 
Um, I think it's a set of things that no one has um, figured out yet. I think people have theories about things. I have theories about what I think could be useful or what could work. And some people are implementing some of these ideas and some people aren't. Like, I feel like, um, you know, the ticket price is huge. And I feel like uh, there are ways in which organizations can um, mitigate that so that there's a, you know, for lack of a better word, a sliding scale so that more people have access to the theater, but also the theater doesn't go under because they're not selling tickets. So like Arena in DC, the Arena Stage Theater in DC has a pay what you pay your age, you know, oh, ticket wow. program for which is great because like if you're a 16 year old, you pay $16 to go see, you know, this gorgeous piece of art. Um, so ticket price is something that we have to figure out the economics of it so that it feels inclusive, but it doesn't like sort of tank the, uh, the bottom line, which is horrible, but it's, yeah. it's true. The other thing I would say is um, people are always, um, talking about diversifying their audience and i think the way to do that is by building community with the people uh with people who you don't already have a relationship with but people who you don't have a relationship with so you know if your theater is on broad street in a south broad street in philadelphia for example or in old city philadelphia um and you want to reach out to the latinx community well, you can't just do that when you're doing a show that you feel like that they want to see. You have to figure out what is the way in which that relationship is not mercenary, but is actually ongoing that feels long term so that they're they feel like they're a part of um, how you tell stories and why you tell stories. So, like, it, it, I think it's absolutely possible that a production of a doll's house can speak to literally anyone they don't have to just be you know um white middle-aged people that that play can speak to a lot of different demographics but how you talk about that play really is the way uh that determines who's going to walk through the door and if you build community around um what the play is so it's a combination of the people who who the story directly is talking to it's a combination of people who could potentially learn something about the uh, learn something about themselves from the play the people who um like you look at something like let's use a doll's house like what is the community around women who are you know newly divorced or women who are uh, trying to lose, leave uh, abusive relationships, like talking to those folks to number one, say like, are we telling this story in a way that you feel is um, helpful, that is uh, inclusive? And then once you do that, you start doing that work, then you develop the relationship around like, who we can invite into the space to witness the art that you're making. And then when the show closes, you don't you don't just abandon the relationship. You have to continue the relationship. You know, like I think I've posted something on Facebook the other day about Mark, people starting to think about marketing less as 
image and text and like bottom line and how many people do we get through the door? If you yes, think yes. The form of community engagement and community organizing, that's just a better use of that money, I think. Because if people feel like they're, you are, they are in community with you, that's not just about proximity. Like you live, we're, we make art in the same city, therefore you should be interested in what I'm doing. That's not how that works. You have to, the community is something that you make. It's something that you build. It's something that's cultivated. So um, just shifting the way we think about these models, I think is really, really important is the thing that's gonna save the form. Like it's expensive to do theater. Like it's a really expensive art form. And like, if you think about it at the end of a show, how much of that is like thrown away? Like it just costs so much. And if we don't begin to think about the ways in which uh, relationship makes us sustainable, then we're going to be in some trouble. Yeah, yeah. It really is about cultivating community and relationships and not reaching out to specific communities just to say that you reached out to those communities. Um, it, right. it really is about cultivating a, a sense of community and, and relationships. Um, and, and so that actually leads me, leads me to my, my next question quite nicely. Um, and that's uh, when you think, uh, when you, James, think of a genuine, deep, meaningful human relationship, uh, what comes to mind? Uh, transparency, um, honesty, um, which, and with honesty comes rigor, (laughs) like that's not always easy to be honest, um, support, you know, making sure that you're only taking up the space that you need, um, and then also holding space for other people who who uh, who need more space or they need more access. Um, I think communication, you know, like you know, there's honesty and there's transparency, but like there's just this thing of like, are we talking? Like, do we talk to each other? <laughs> you know, do we uh, commute? And I, I think that can take a lot of different m- modes. Like, I'm not someone that likes to sit and talk on the phone for a long time. If I could text somebody for days and days and days and days and days, or I could sit in a cafe and talk to someone for an hour. You know, um, I'm someone that there's something false about a phone call to me. I'd rather like, hey, let's let's get together or tell me what you need. Okay, great. I can respond in, in a text really quickly. So I either want all of a person or I want them to just tell me what they need. And then I tell them what I can do in response to that. Yeah. And you feel like a phone call is sort of like that weird middle area. I I mean, it's just physically, I don't like being bound by a thing that I have to like carry and like hold to communicate. Like it just, there's something about that, that I don't like, like holding a phone to my ear. My mom tells a story about being a kid, and someone calling in to the house and saying, oh, I want to speak to the kids. And my sister would get on the phone and talk for a long time. And my younger sister would get on the phone and she would talk for a long time. And I get on the phone and say like, hey, okay, okay, 
okay, great. Bye. <laughs> I would get off the phone because yeah. there was something about holding it and like that just didn't. I didn't like it. There was something about it I didn't like, and that's never completely gone away. Um, you know, I talk to people and while I'm driving, for some reason that feels better. Um, I think it's because it's like I've got that Bluetooth thing in my car now where it, I, I it's just sitting there. Yeah, and I feel like on some level that I'm just like having a live conversation with someone. Um, I think it's literally just holding a phone. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could, I could relate to you on that. I, I definitely understand that. I'm not, I'm not a big talk on the phone guy either. Yeah. Um, so I, I have one more question for you, James, before, uh, before we say our goodbyes today. Um, and okay. uh, I think that you've kind of answered this a little bit throughout, but I just thought I'd ask you specifically um, what inspires you as an artist? Um, my family, um, my husband, um, other people's art inspires me. Um, I'm becoming more and more inspired by nature, which is odd because I'm not someone that likes to hang out outside a lot but um you know being in nature i feel like is is uh reviving now and i didn't always feel that way um oh, i i think you know whatever's happening in the world um at any given moment is a big inspiration to me um, trying to be in conversation with the current moment even when i'm writing a play that's set in a historical moment um, i'm really inspired by um, what's happening what what i feel like is is happening in the world and um, and how i fit inside of that like you know thinking about myself living inside of a historical moment as opposed to Oh, I just, you know, I do my art and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm talking about these things, but I'm living in the present, but actually I'm living in a moment that is quickly becoming histor history as it's happening. Um, and if you think about the present in that way, it's always moving. Like it's your, the moment you're in is always sort of in flux. So it's always sort of pushing you forward. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely inspired by, uh, I don't even like the term current events, but like what's happening, you know? Yeah, and I guess like how you could play uh, your role in in this current time. Yeah, and like also like what is the Venn diagram of things in the world? So like, you know, uh, Notre Dame, you know, had this like catastrophic fire and like just a week earlier, there are all of these black churches in Louisiana that are being burned down, like Louisiana and France. And, you know, uh, Notre Dame is is uh, Our Lady, which is, you know, Jesus's mother, whose name is Mary. And one of the churches in Louisiana was St. Mary's. And I was like thinking of, and suddenly I'm like, oh, I should write a play called Miriam, which is the Hebrew word for Mary. So like, <laughs> like wow. and it's about yeah. women. Like it's, it's not actually... But that it's it's about these two 
these two historical events of like Notre Dame and these churches in Louisiana, but it's also just about people. Um, and so like that's how ideas sort of like sift down for me is paying attention to how things start to overlap and and what we what we need to learn from those overlaps. Um, so yeah, um, music is really inspiring to me. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, those are the major things, I think. Well, James, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. There's a lot of a lot of good words of wisdom in there. So we we achieved the wisdom that we were looking to achieve <laughs> at the beginning of the conversation. Before we head out, I'm just wondering uh, if there's a specific location or or website or social media where um, people could find out more about you, and if you have uh, anything, any projects coming up soon. Sure. Um, well, my website is www.jamesimes.com. Um, it is typically relatively up to date, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also uh, find me on Instagram at James W. Imes, um, which is I-J-A-M-E-S, uh, that last name. Um, and as far as projects coming up, I got there's some stuff that's coming up that I can't really talk about uh, directing wise. I have uh, two productions in Chicago next oh, season. Oh, wow. Nice. Uh, yeah. Production of the most lamentably, the most lamentable tragedy of Miss Martha Washington uh, is going to be at Steppenwolf. Um, in the wow. Spring. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. And then a production of my play Kill Move Paradise uh, will be a timeline theater, I think, in the fall. Um, and then I'll, I'll be directing something at Villanova, which I can't talk about yet, but um, I'm excited about that. I think that's going to be in the fall as well. Nice. Um, people People have to yeah, stay tuned. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much again, James. This is so excited to have you on this podcast. And uh, I'm sure that the audience will really, really get a lot out of this one. Oh, thanks for having me, man. This was a real treat. There you have it, everyone. James Imes, the man, the myth, the legend. So excited to have him on the podcast. If you like this episode, please be sure to share it with your friends. Tell them all about ships. Tell them all about James. And if also interested, you can call in through our Anchor app, leave me a voice message, and potentially I might air it on the show, which would be fun. So I uh, really hope you enjoyed this episode. James really was just a, a fountain of wisdom for us all whether or not you are a theater practitioner my hope is that you can take these words of wisdom and apply them into your daily life be sure to stay tuned for the next episode of ships i'll catch you next time <laughs>